Well, good morning. Um, let's uh, have a short time of prayer for our church and for God's kingdom as we are attempting to take that out into the world that needs it, and, um, and then we'll get started with uh, looking into Acts chapter 3. God, we are so grateful for um, the, the fact that you want us to be a part of your kingdom work, and, and um, part of that is uh, going out and sharing the gospel, and part of that is uh, being a part of the church family here, and so we just we had a great time last night with the game night, and, um, and we have a, a good time every time we get a chance to get together on Sundays, and I just um, pray that you continue to build that, um, that joy of being a part of the body of Christ here. Um, I also just ask, Lord, that you would continue to burden our hearts with those who need to know the gospel, and so continue to move us in, um, in our prayer time to pray for those who need to know your son. Uh, continue to burden our hearts with um, a need to get out and share the gospel with the community. And as we do those things, we build fellowship here and we reach out to those who need to know Christ. Lord, um, I just pray that we would see you move in powerful ways. Um, we're looking at Acts and we saw at Pentecost you brought 3,000 people to know you that, that one day. Um, Lord, we just pray that we would be able to see the work you're doing in our lives and doing through us in the lives of other people and that we'd be able to see um, the harvest of souls that are coming in as you are bringing many sons to glory. Um, and may we then, with our whole lives, uh, direct all of that praise and honor and glory to you uh, so that you are made much of in our church and um, in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we have some PowerPoint today, so I'm going to try to, when it is time to move on to the next slide, I'll try to step off to the side um, so that you will have the answers that are in your notes um, up here in case you miss it when I'm, when I'm if sometimes I move kind of quickly. Um, but also to start, um, I just want to, I have a couple things I, I want to show you and just have you ever seen pictures like online or anything where you you see like a picture of a person side by side with an animal and they look like each other okay so I was looking at some of those this week and I found four I wanted to share with you these are all uh, famous people of some some sort who look like animals um, and so this first one is Vladimir Putin <laughs> and I thought oh my goodness he looks exactly like that dog or vice versa. Uh, the next one is Samuel L. Jackson. Um, so he's an actor. Um, the next one is uh, Ron Perlman. And I thought, man, look at the eyes. They've got the same eyes. And then obviously the curly going on. And then the last one is Peyton Manning. So, so I was looking at those because I was thinking about how I was thinking about how we resemble either people or, in this case, animals. Um, w you know, you might look like a parent, or you might look like um, an uncle or an aunt or something. But um, we, 
we tend to re resemble people or animals. Um, and as I was looking at the text today, we're looking at the healing of the crippled beggar at the, that was at the temple gate. And he's in a situation that um, we, might we might not necessarily physically resemble him, but spiritually we resemble him very much. Um, and, now, and then there are people who might actually like, struggle with the same physical things that he struggles with, but certainly all of us can look at his spiritual state and say, we are just like him. We look just like this guy. And so as we look at uh, the text and what Peter does when he brings healing to him in Jesus' name, um, we're going to also take a look at his spiritual life and how the physical changed him spiritually as well, and then how that applies to us today. So if you have your place, we're looking at Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If you are able to, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word? Acts 3, 1 to 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. God, as we look at this text, um, we've, we do very much resemble the spiritual state that this man was in uh, prior to him coming to know Christ, uh, and, and experiencing what he experienced here today, that was our situation prior to knowing Christ. Um, and yet, as his physical body was healed, you brought healing to our spiritual life. And so I just pray that as we look at this today, that we, we learn what we need to know about the text itself, about the event that took place in um, this man's life, but then help us also to understand how your word um, continues to direct us in the path of righteousness so that we can we can live a life that has been changed by your son as we approach your word help us to approach it with humility and help us to handle it lord with faithfulness in jesus name amen go ahead and have a seat so this text breaks up nicely like in two halves so we're gonna we have two things we're gonna be looking at today and the first one is in in your notes is the immediate need and i put in parentheses alms because this man had had his mind fixed on the fact that he needed an income 
Uh, verse 1 tells us that Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. Uh, my translation, the ESV, says the ninth hour. Some of your translations might translate it into what's more understandable in our English American 21st century knowledge and uh, way we talk. And so it should say 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The ninth hour was 3 o'clock in, in the day. Uh, there were three times of prayer where the people would go up to the temple to pray throughout the day, and this was a daily thing. So every day there were three times of prayer. Um, there was always a morning sacrifice at 9 o'clock in the morning, and there was a time of prayer associated with that. There was always an evening sacrifice at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and there was a time of prayer associated with that. And the, the third time of prayer is kind of debated among scholars. Some say noon, some say sunset. Um, those That one I can't like land on solid ground and say, I know it's this, but we do know for certain that nine o'clock and three o'clock were times of sacrifice. So every day they, they offered a sacrifice of some sort. They shed the blood of something in the morning and in the afternoon, and there was a time of prayer. And Peter and John are going up there together. And I think that's an important thing to note in, in your text because the early church many times did ministry uh, in either pairs or in groups. And it's just, a, I think, a good idea that uh, if we're going to be going out and we're going to be serving or we're going to be witnessing or whatever we might be doing, taking part in, um, you know, some kind of project that's going to be a way to serve the community, a missions trip, short-term missions trip, something like that, it's just a good idea to always have at least one other person with you. Uh, that person can help uh, encourage you. They can help um, direct you as you are, you know, trying to share the gospel. Uh, if you, like me, at times I'll be sharing the gospel or I'll be sharing an answer with somebody for a question they have, and sometimes I forget details that later on I'm like, I should have mentioned that. Well, if I had someone with me, they could have said, you know, let's make sure we also talk about this. They could be somebody who's just offering some wisdom. So, so it's always a good idea just to have somebody else with you. And we see that Jesus sent his disciples out during his ministry in pairs of two. So they're almost always together. So that's just a practical thing for us as we go forward with any kind of ministry that God calls us to do. But they were going together at the time of prayer. And this man who, it's how the text tells us he was lame from birth. So he's never known what it was like to walk. And he was carried every day to the temple gate specifically when any anytime they give us specific details when it says the beautiful gate there, so there was a specific gate that Luke wanted to draw his readers attention to um, that's always a good idea to see if there's anything we can learn as to why he gave us some specific details the beautiful gate if you read we talked in Sunday school about Josephus and how he gives us a lot of he fills in a lot of gaps where the biblical text uh, doesn't give us answers the beautiful gate was really really ornate it was overlaid in corinthian bronze um it was uh a favorite of the people because when you're going into worship you're going in and you're looking at this thing that is eye-catching it's also kind of a main entrance into the temple area and so because of those two things there's high traffic flow coming through this gate so this man he may not be able to use his legs but he's um He's not lacking in intelligence because he knows where to go, where the most people are coming, 
And he understands if they're going into worship, you know, the mindset of a Jewish person in the first century was very much in terms of, uh, you know, works-based righteousness. I have these things I need to check off my list, and if I do that, then I'm right with God, right? Jesus came and turned that, turned that inside out and said, listen, like, that what God wants is he, he offers you grace. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be, he wants to walk with you day, day in and day out. And that's what salvation is about. But in the first century, the Jews were still in the mindset of following the law and checking off the list. And giving to the poor was considered a meritorious act. So here's this man sitting at the gate before people are going in to engage with God. They're going to bring offerings. They're going to come and pray. They're going to worship. And before they walk in, they see a man who's begging for money, which is going to compel them to give him money. So he, we, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us, but my guess is he probably did all right in terms of walking, well, not walking, sorry, in terms of leaving there at the end of the day and having some kind of income. So he comes and they put him there so that he is, you know, tugging on the heartstrings of the people who are coming in or, or maybe playing on uh, trying to, you know, make them feel compelled to give him money as they're going into worship. So he sees Peter and John and he does what he does with everybody else. He asks them for money. And when Peter looks at him, I, I, as, I'm, as I'm reading this, I kind of think Peter probably had some excitement in his voice. Like, so the text says that Peter looked at him and he said, look at us. Um, I can almost see like a smile on his face, like mentally communicating with John, like we're going to blow this guy's mind, right? So like I, I, I almost hear Peter like saying, look at us, you know, like... I don't, have, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but I'm going to give you what I do have. And he just proclaims. He just says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I have to think that Peter was probably, um, this was the Holy Spirit in him, which we're going to talk about more in just a minute, but I, just th I think the Holy Spirit was just moving him to, to know exactly what he needed to do. This man is standing there, and he's, when Peter says, look at us, he's expecting to get something. He's expecting that they're going to give him some money, um, and he does get something, but he gets something he didn't anticipate. So when, when you and I, when you and I are convinced that there's something that we need, and so we, we go before God in prayer, we know in our minds, at least this is how my mind works, I know in my mind what I need. This would fix all my problems, right? Um, and I love it when God, I, I don't necessarily love it at the time. It's when I look back and I see how things played out. But I love it when God doesn't give me what I ask for, but he gives me what I need. So here, this man thinks he needs an income. He thinks he needs money, and he's anticipating that. But what he really needs, which may or may not have been on his mind, but what he really needs is, um, is salvation, more than anything, um, and healing for his body. But none of those can be provided by money. So he's looking at his immediate need, thinking, I need, I need money, and Peter is getting ready to blow his mind 
with something that's greater need. Now, before we get into that, uh, that part of the text, I just want you to think about a time that maybe you've asked for something or you thought you needed something and God said, you know what, I know you think you need that, but I'm going to give you what you really need. And I'm just going to give you um, a couple of examples from my own life. If I have time, let me keep an eye on the time. Okay, so um, one of them was from when I was in college. And when I was in co- I've, I've always loved music. I've loved being a part of groups that are either performing vocally or instrumentally or whatever. And so when I was in college, I felt a call to a couple of different things in terms of ministry. I looked at my life and I had some specific areas where I felt like God had gifted me. Um, and I was really all I wanted to do was be in a band, which isn't that the dream of like almost every college kid. They just want to be in a band. And so, um, and I, I'm really good at convincing myself that when I, when I think, you know, this is what I want, I'm really good at convincing myself that everything would work out if that would happen. And so all these areas where I felt like God had gifted me and the things I felt God was calling me to do in terms of ministry, I had it worked out. So if I had a band and I could travel doing that, like all of those things would have happened. You know, I would have been, you know, able to fulfill all of those things. And so God, um, he knew that that wasn't wise. And he gave me a little taste of what it'd be like. I had a buddy who, uh, he was a fantastic songwriter. Um, and he just grabbed a ragamuffin band anytime he needed to go do a show. And so whoever was available, he's like, hey, can you play? So he was getting ready to do a short little weekend tour through Wisconsin, and he asked me if I could fill in and play bass. So I spent a week learning his music on bass guitar. It was him and me and another guy that was on our floor. We were all three friends. But by the end of that weekend, I was about to kill them. <laughs> Being for, and it was probably only a, but from the time we left to the time we r- arrived back, I bet it was only 48 hours, but being in a van with them on long road trips, um, sleeping in the same room with them, I just tell you what, like, they were my friends. I still like them. In fact, I'm going to have lunch with one of them this week. But um, I was about to kill them. And God helped me to realize you would be miserable if I answered this prayer. Um, I wouldn't have been able to have a, I don't understand how people can have a family if they're on the road all the time. That's a difficult thing. And I knew I wanted to have a family at some point. And so God was just like, listen, I know you think you need this and you want this, but you don't have any idea. And so I'm not going to give it to you. But then I served as as, um, a worship pastor for a while and I got to do all that stuff that I wanted to do but I got to stay home. I got to get away from the people I did it with whenever I needed to get away from those people. And then um, we had, you know, better relationships than what happened over that weekend with my friends at college. The other one is just um, as I, after I left my last ministry, I didn't realize how wounded we were. And I just wanted to get right back into ministry. And God didn't answer that prayer for eight years until you guys called me to come here. Um, and there was a roller coaster of emotions I went through, and there were a couple churches in the in that interim time that showed some interest, and I was interested in them. And there were there were a couple times that I was just convinced, like this would be a great situation, and God knew better, 
and he closed those doors. And in hindsight, I look back and I, and I still, when I think of those things, I still thank him for closing those doors because it would not have been as good of a situation as I was dreaming it would be. Um, and then I wouldn't have ended up here. And this has been a great situation. And so I, I've learned that God gives us what we need and not what we want. Um, and I've learned to love when he gives us something different than we expect. In your notes, I'm going to compare the lame man and us, his physical situation with our spiritual situation, so that you see what I'm talking about when I say that we resemble him. So the first one in your notes is the lame man had legs that were no good. His legs didn't work. He wasn't able to use them and function with them. And for us, it was our righteousness that was no good. So this is all prior to knowing Christ or prior to his experience with Peter, that Jesus is working through him, and this is prior to us coming to know Christ. So his, he had legs that didn't work, that were no good, and our righteousness was filthy rags. Uh, the second thing is he was financially destitute, which is why he was begging for money, and we were spiritually destitute and in debt. And the third thing is he, had to, he was placed outside of the temple. He was stuck out there because he couldn't go he couldn't go in and function and do the things he was supposed to do. So he was, and remember, the temple is where God's presence reside, resided with his people, right? And so to be outside of the temple and not be able to go in means that you've got this dividing wall that's a barrier between you getting into God's presence. And we were separated from God um, when, before we knew Christ. We were separated from God because of our sin, and we were out of fellowship with him. And so on a spiritual level, we looked just like this man. And we were doing the same things. We were looking for our immediate needs, trying to find our hope in things. And God, if you've come to know Christ, then you've come to understand that God met an even greater need. So our second point is the greater need. And the parenthetical is salvation and healing. The greater need which was uh, the man needed salvation and healing. So Peter tells him, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but here's what I do have. And in the, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, I said I thought Peter must have been operating completely by the Holy Spirit here. And here's why. Peter doesn't stop and pray for the man and ask for Jesus to heal him. He just instantly reacts and, and he proclaims the healing in his name. So he doesn't, he doesn't like call on Jesus. He just, he knows that Jesus has given him authority. And every sermon in this, in this series so far, I've referenced the Great Commission. Last, last week I mentioned that Jesus had received all authority on heaven and earth, and then he was bestowing that on the disciples to teach. That same thing, that same authority is being given to the disciples in terms of their need to perform tasks. And here, specifically, the miraculous of healing someone. Here's the thing. The, Jesus' name carried all the authority that was needed for his followers to do this. Um, I read one commentary that I was reading this week said this. A name is an expression of a person's very essence. The power of the person is present and available in the name. And then there was another commentary that I read that confirmed that specifically talking about ancient Semitic thought. So specifically talking about the way that they, the people in the culture would have understood it. 
the name carried power, which is why we labored and labored and labored in prayer over n the names that we named our kids because we knew that there was power in that name. Um, name, you know, all throughout scripture, names meant something. God pe wanted people to name their children certain things because of the meanings. And so we labored for a long time about how we named our children. It's the same thing here. Like we would see today, or even in history, we would see today uh, an ambassador would be sent from our country to another country to meet with the leaders and carry a message. And that message is given in the name of the ruling person or the ruling body of, of the country they came from. And because of that, that message carried authority. It's the same thing here. Jesus gave them authority to teach and Jesus gave them authority and power to heal. And so what we see is that Peter doesn't stop and he doesn't even think twice. He just says, here's what I got for you. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And the man does. Now, also in your notes, you have um, a reference to Acts 3.16. There are two things. Now, this is not in our text. We'll touch, on, we'll touch more on this next week. But the, if you look forward to verse 16, there are two things that I think are important to know here. The first thing is that the power to heal was in Jesus' name. It wasn't Peter's power, although Jesus did use Peter to do it. It was not Peter's power that made this happen. It was the power came in the name of Jesus. And the second thing is that it required faith, and we, we'll get into this next week too as Peter responds, but it required faith. And I don't know, I put here even the man's faith. Technically, you can't really tell from the text if the faith was on the part of the man who needed to be healed or if the faith was on the part of Peter and John. Um, it required faith from someone. But what, I, what I'm trying to point out here is that verse 16 tells us that it, even that was a gift from God. And so in verse 16, if you look forward just real quickly to that verse, it says, in, in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So there's, he references faith in his name and he re references faith through Jesus. And so even according to Peter, even that faith that was required for the healing, and we see that a lot in Jesus' ministry. He says, your faith has healed you. Even that faith is something that comes through Jesus as a gift to us. And so that's the greater need. He needed healing physically and he needed salvation for his soul. Um, and so what we see is that he immediately stands up. It's, it's like an instant healing like what you see a lot in Jesus's ministry when he heals people. Um, he tells somebody to awake from the dead and they sit up. Um, he heals Peter's mother-in-law from a fever that had her bedridden and the instant like it, it wasn't just he took the fever away he like instantly restored health to her because she got up and she began to wait on them and serve them and so it's an instant healing like we see in in the ministry of Jesus so he did use Peter but again it's through the power of the name of Jesus and the faith that it required was a gift. Now, can you imagine how strange this would have felt? 
This guy was lame from birth, so he'd never walked before. And all of a sudden, his, his legs are working. And you all know that if you don't use your muscles for, you know, sometimes even just a couple weeks, you begin to lose strength and coordination and that kind of stuff. And so this guy had never, ever walked before. And yet when he was healed by Christ, he was instantly, it wasn't just that he could start moving them again and then he had to go through therapy to get them built up. He instantly was completely healed and begins walking. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 35 verses 5 and 6 says this. He's speaking of messianic times in the, in the time that the Messiah would reign. And he says this, Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. This man is worshiping not only with his voice and with his words, but also with this newfound strength and use of his limbs. And I think it's, I think it's awesome because he's never walked before. He's never used his legs to even walk down the street or to walk over to a friend's house or something like that. He certainly never, um, you know, worked a field to provide for his family. Um, so he's never used his legs and done any of that stuff. And so when he finally can, he's not satisfied with just walking. You know, we're, we're pretty dignified, you know, like, we don't want to. We don't want to do anything that might draw attention to ourselves, or we, we don't want to do anything that might cause bad attention, or might end up on YouTube. But this man, when he's healed, he gets up, and the first thing he does is he walks with Peter and John into the temple. But like he can't contain it, and so he starts jumping. He starts jumping and he starts shouting praises to God. I mean, it's like, have you ever seen a kid, a little kid who is anticipating something? He's so excited, he just can't contain it. He's like bouncing off the walls because he's so excited. Um, in fact, I, there, was a, there was a guy in my, when I was a youth pastor, he was in the junior high youth group. And he's an adult now and married and um, lives in Nashville. And he and his sister have a recording uh, deal with a record company down there. And um, so like he's really doing well for his life but he's still like that like there are things he posts on Facebook and I can just see the excitement in him you know and I'm like he reminds me of a little boy um, but it's like that like that that's this guy he's like so excited he can't contain himself and so walking's not good enough and so he starts jumping and he starts shouting at the top of his voice to praise God and you know I God loves all manners of worship doesn't he and sometimes sometimes our worship is quiet and reserved and maybe it's all internal and i think god loves that reverence and there are times when that is absolutely appropriate absolutely appropriate and then there are times that i think god probably thinks can you get a little more excited about me you know like i know you're dignified and i know you don't want to you don't want to like make a show but 
can you be a little more excited about me? And I'm not saying we should do exactly as David did when he went out and he, you know, undressed in front of everybody and danced before the Lord. But maybe at least, you know, not be so reserved and hold it in that people wonder if we're even excited to, you know, to be in God's presence. And so I think this guy, the thing I love about him is that he just can't contain it. Um, And I want to be that kind of worshiper. There are times that I know it's going to be appropriate for me to sit in my room or to sit um, in the pew with you guys, and the worship is going to be very reverent. Um, But I also want to be someone who recognizes the times when it's appropriate and actually would be pleasing to God if my worship was more outward where it was bearing witness to people. And that's what happens with this guy. He, his reaction draws the attention of everybody who's there. His natural reaction uh, to what God is doing in his life and as he's healed his physical body is to praise him and to make that known. And so everybody takes note of that. And so I just want to ask you to think about your own life. Do, do you do that? Um, and we all need to take a hard look at our life and make sure that we are not um, keeping the gospel to ourselves, to make sure that we're not um, hesitant when God is, you know, wanting us to do something where that would be expressed in our life or to engage people so that they're getting to know what's happening, what God is doing to transform you. Uh, we, all, we all at times, um, I think, find ourselves hesitant but I guess I would say we need to be in prayer for, our, for ourselves that God would help us to know when is appropriate to, to make that known and when's appropriate to slowly venture into those, those conversations and, and you know, getting into those topics with people in discussion. But God is calling us to bear witness, which is, what this guy is doing even though he's just he's just worshiping he's just excited to be able to use his legs again but he's but he's bearing witness in everything that he does and so i guess i would just encourage you to pray for your own life for god to give you discernment you know it, it's all situational like the way the way we live our life and bear witness in this setting might it might require us to move a little slower going into conversations with people to, you know, to build some relationship, build some trust, maybe get to know how they're thinking before we start launching into here's what you need to know about salvation. This situation over here might be something where you're a little more outward. Maybe you're a little more bold. Um, it might be a situation that can, can handle that. Um, sometimes you find yourselves in situations like Jesus did where you have to be really bold and maybe it's more confrontational. But So, so they're all situational, but um, I just want to be a person who's, I want to be a person who's in tune with God enough to know how to handle each one of those situations whenever I'm in it so that everything that I'm doing in response to him is bearing witness as this man's uh, response did. So you can think about those things um, you know, how do you handle that at work? How do you handle that at family situations when uh, you have some family members that aren't believers? How do you handle that with friends? How do you handle that with people who are, you know, 
trying to poke the bear and and you know just you know playing devil's advocate or trying to just get you riled up how do you how do you handle those things and so i want i want to pray for myself and ask god to make me somebody who's in tune enough to know how to handle that so that i can i can respond the way this guy does so that everything i do bears witness to what he's done in my life so as we bring this to a conclusion um I guess I would say, if we resemble this man's situation in so many ways, spiritually speaking, he was physically, he had a physical ailment, but he, in, until he experienced Christ through uh, crossing paths with Peter and John, he had a physical ailment and he thought he knew what he needed, but he didn't even realize what was his greater need. Before we know Christ, before we come to know Christ, we're in the same situation. We think we know what we need. We put our hope in all kinds of things, um, and God, God says, "I have what you need." So if we if we resemble Him in so many ways, then I guess my question is: Shouldn't our reaction to God's saving work in our life resemble His reaction as well? Before we knew Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We were helpless, just like this man was helpless to take care of himself. He couldn't walk, so he had to have his friends and his family help him get around wherever he needed to go. We, before knowing Christ, were helpless. Um, we had no ability to be reconciled to God because of our sin. That sin separated us from him. There was no sacrifice that we could make. There was no good work we could do that would have fixed our sin problem and reconciled us to God. In fact, we couldn't have even laid down the ultimate sacrifice and shed our own blood as a sacrifice for him because that would have been, that would have been a defective sacrifice. There were, God required perfect sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins, which is why the lambs had to be perfect. And Jesus was the only perfect sacrifice to do that. So, we couldn't have fixed that problem. And now that if you know Christ and you're on the other side of that, the key is understanding that even still, we, we in and of ourselves, without his sacrifice, without his righteousness being given to us because he, because he did shed his blood, we still have no way of even pleasing God without being able to claim Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's him who fixes our problem and counts us righteous before God, even though we are weak and sinful people. Um, the beggar thought his answer to his life problem was to get people to give him money. He was blinded to the God who created him, and so he trusted in people, and he settled for less. He trusted in people to provide for him, instead of trusting in God. Um, we, on the other hand, just as God wanted to demonstrate power, his love and his power in this man's life, um, and give him something greater that only God could give, we were in the same situation before we knew Christ. We placed our hope in wrong things. Uh, we were blind to the fact that 
the only thing that could give us true hope was a saving relationship with Christ. So we'd put our hope in money or we'd put our hope in our jobs or we'd put our hope in status or we'd put our hope in um, influence over people. We'd put our hope in all kinds of things. We might put our hope in having a family. Whatever it was, we'd put our hope in things, but it was only through Christ and having a saving relationship with him that we could find true hope. And the sad thing is, is you could probably point to people that you know that have walked with Christ for some time and they still live like that, right? God wants us to not sit in a high traffic area placing our hope in the people who are walking by or in other things to take care of our needs. God wants us to sit at his feet and put our hope in him for him to provide for our needs and our greatest need is our salvation. And when we do that and when we trust in him, then we will see him do wonders in our life just like he did for this man here. Let's pray. God, we... Um, we recognize that we are sinners and all we have to do is think about the deep secrets in our hearts to, to realize that even if, even if we are saved and we have Christ as our Savior, we cannot live a righteous, perfect life like you've asked us to do, what you've, like you've demanded us to do in terms of honoring you because of your glory. So I just pray this morning that as we've looked at this, this man who had, had a physical ailment and he couldn't meet his greatest need with the things he was placing his hope in, I pray that you would help us, uh, if we are a believer, to continue to understand our hope is found in Christ alone. If, if we are not a believer, um, or if we're talking with non-believers and we're trying to help them understand the gospel, help us to know and understand that we could put our hope in all kinds of things in this world, but they're just going to lead to heartache and it's not going to bring us any closer to uh, your presence. And the only thing that will take care of that is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. So we look like this man in so many ways. Help us now to respond the way he does. Look like his response as he proclaims it at the top of his lungs using his physical body to praise you and worship you and bearing witness to all those who come in contact with us so that they see it and they respond the same way that the people did here. It says that they recognized who he was and, he, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And God, I just pray that our lives do that same thing so that everybody can see in us you and stand in awe of who you are and give you the glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.